Lord Jesus, you have already been ministering to my heart. I have already felt your presence in this place, and if the lights turned out and the doors shut right now, God, I would be thankful. Uh, we have been praying uh, before this service started this morning that you would just make yourself known. And as usual, you are faithful. Thank you, God. Lord, as we come to your word now, I pray that you would bring a softness to our hearts, that we would be able to hear what it is that you are saying to us. Lord, that if there are areas in our lives where we push back because it's uncomfortable, because we wish you wouldn't say that, because whatever the case may be, Lord, because you're faithful, may we lean in. Because you can be trusted, may we lean in. And may we hear from you and may we experience life because of it. So come and meet with us in this place. Continue, God, to let your presence fall. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we continue our walk through uh, the book of Mark, walk might be a little too generous. Perhaps it's a leisurely stroll. Um, we're somewhere in the ballpark of eight, nine months in, and we're starting chapter 10. Uh, so there's only 16 chapters, so you do the math. But as we, uh, as we continue our walk through and we start in Mark chapter 10, we've, we've seen themes coming up. Uh, we have seen the way that Jesus does ministry, and everywhere Jesus goes, people see life in him, people see hope in him, and they flock to where he is. And we find ourselves in the same place here in Mark chapter 10. Let me read the first couple verses and then we'll break it down. He set out from there. He had just been teaching with his disciples and they moved on to another place. He set out from there and went to the region of Judea across the Jordan. Then crowds converged on him again. And I love this. As he usually did, he began teaching them once more. Some Pharisees approached him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He replied to them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted us to write divorce papers and send her away. But Jesus told them, he wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your hearts. But from the beginning of creation, God made the male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, man must not separate. Now in the house, uh, the disciples questioned him again about this matter, and he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. Also, if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Some of you, as I got about halfway through that story, clenched. Oh, no. We're going there. We're, we're talking about divorce? I... I will say this probably multiple times going through this. Uh, my prayer all week, and I've had the elders praying with me, has been for, uh, as Jesus was known, to be full of grace and truth. Uh, as we come into what I know is a very painful subject for many people, even in this room, my hope is that the Lord speaks and that his grace and his presence and his healing are felt, but at the same time we hold up the high standard of Scripture. 
So th that is going to be my attempt this morning, and I'm just going to ask for grace from you. Uh, if this is a painful subject to you, and even hearing that word and, and knowing we're going to spend time here, if, if the defenses are starting to go up, I just ask that you extend grace. My heart is not to hurt or to wound at any point in this, not to bring up bad memories. My prayer is that through this we find healing in the Lord and freedom and hope moving forward. Amen? Okay, so let's, let's jump into this story. And first we're going to talk just a little bit. I'm going to set the stage, talk a little bit about the story. Then we'll talk about the teaching of Jesus. So we see that Jesus, once again, going around teaching, and as usual, a crowd gathers. And again, I love that part where it says, and as he usually did, he began to teach them. People were coming to Jesus because they wanted to hear words of life. They wanted to hear him tell them, here is what the Father says. Here is where hope is found. Here is where life is found. They couldn't get enough of it, and so they come flocking to him. But some of the Pharisees approached to test him. The Pharisees were trying to set a trap for Jesus, as they've done many other times. They saw these crowds gathering around him, and in a lot of places we find in Scripture it says that if their jealousy rose up, and they thought, we got to set a trap for him. We, we, let's put him in a hard situation. Let's put him in a lose-lose in a type situation, because their whole goal was to try to push him to an extreme position. We're going to ask him really hard questions so that no matter what he says, he loses popularity. Because here's the thing, that's what was driving the Pharisees was popularity. Big crowds, people knowing their name, and they assumed Jesus was the same. And so they thought, let's set a trap for him. Let's ask him about what's the most divisive thing we can think of? Divorce. He'll have to offend somebody. No matter what answer he gives us, he's going to offend somebody and we'll win. This is, this is the heart and the mind of the Pharisees. We'll hit him where it hurts in his popularity. And they've tried this before and failed miserably. They came and they asked him about taxes at one point. Is it right to give money to Rome, this oppressive force that comes against us, or should we give money to God? And Jesus, of course, sees the flaw and says, Give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God what is God's. Yes, even though it's hard to hear, we're to pay our taxes, even to an oppressive force like Rome. And we're also to live generously toward God. So they got stumped and they thought, they came back the next time and they thought, let's ask him, what's his favorite commandment? What's the best commandment? Because no matter what he says, we got 600 and some other ones to go, oh, you don't believe in this one? And we'll trap him again. And so they, they wait until a big crowd around to say, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And he goes back to the Shema, which was kind of a foundational piece of their law. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, all the law and the prophets are summed up in this. If you love the Lord your God with everything you have and you love your neighbor as yourself, you fulfilled the whole law. And they're like, dang it. We thought for sure we were going to get him with that one. So they go back to the drawing board, and this time they come up with resurrection. Some of the uh, people believed that it, no one was raised from the dead. When you're dead, you're dead. That's the end of it. There was this whole other faction that believed that, yes, there is hope because the dead will raise again. And they knew this is going to be divisive. We'll get him. So they come and they ask him, and he says, look, the whole reason you're asking this question is because you don't even understand the power of the scripture. Of course there is resurrection. 
And, and he, he turns the tables back on them. And this time they think they've got him nailed down for sure. There is, there is no way he can answer this and not offend somebody. There are going to be divorced people in the crowd. There are going to be people that believe divorce is a sin in the crowd. He's going to offend somebody. And then it had to be just in the back of their mind. What if we could even get him to disagree with Moses? What if we could get him to say that, that what Moses wrote in the Old Testament isn't even true? Wouldn't that be sweet? They probably almost, they didn't even dare to dream that Jesus would do that because then they'd have him. And so they, they lie in wait, and when the crowd gathers, oh, oh, teacher, oh, teacher, we have one more question. Is it right for a man to divorce his wife? You see, they were trying to get him to pick one of the extremes because they assumed his intentions were like theirs, that the popularity of the people was what drove him because that's what drove them. We, we have a story over in Luke chapter 20 where Jesus turns the tables on them and we get to hear some of their conversation behind the scenes. One day as he was teaching the people in the temple complex and proclaiming the good news, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, tell us by what authority you're doing these things. Who is it who gave you this authority? He answered them, I will ask you a question. Tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? John the Baptist had come and, and people loved John the Baptist. And so Jesus is putting them on the spot, giving them a taste of their own medicine. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? They discuss it among themselves and they say, if we say from heaven, he'll say, why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us because they're convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know its origin. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. You, you see the heart of them behind it. Jesus turns the table and they go, you know what? If we tell them what we really think, we're going to lose the entire crowd. But if we tell the crowd what they want to hear, we're going to end up looking foolish because then why didn't we listen? So we'll just take the, the coward's way out and go, oh, yeah, we, we don't know. Jesus knew their hearts behind it. And this is what they had been trying to do to him time and time again. So, so they pose this question to him in the crowd, trying to put him on the spot. And, and Jesus takes the bait. He answers their question. I'm going to look over at the, the book of Matthew for this. Uh, we're going to read the same story in the book of Matthew because Mark's account is abbreviated. Mark's account is pretty quick. Remember when we started talking about the book of Mark? Whose story is the book of Mark? Peter's. Okay, Mark actually wrote down Peter's account. Whether because Peter was illiterate and couldn't, because Peter was just in a hurry because he's Peter, for whatever reason, Mark actually collected it and wrote it down. And what do we know about Peter? Peter is a mover and a shaker, and he gives the highlights and he moves on. And there's some nuance to this story that you don't get from Peter's account, but Matthew sheds a little light on it. Matthew was also an eyewitness for it. He was there uh, during this teaching. And there, there, there's a little bit of nuance that he gives to it that can help enlighten us. So let's jump over to Matthew chapter 19. I'm going to read Matthew's account of it, and then we'll start to break, it, break down what Jesus was saying. When Jesus had finished this instruction, he departed from Galilee and went to the region of Judea across the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees approached him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Haven't you read, he replied, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female. 
And he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be joined together with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, man must not separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command us to give divorce papers and to send her away? And he told them, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts. But it was not like that from the beginning. And I tell you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. See, there's, there's a, a key piece missing from Peter's version that Matthew includes that sheds light on there. The question that they really asked is, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Can we divorce our wives for any reason whatsoever? And Jesus takes them all the way back to the beginning. He goes, look, I'm not even going to argue from your culture. I'm not even going to talk about your practice. Let's go back to the beginning, to the book of Genesis, to the one who actually created marriage, and let's see what we find. Verse 4, haven't you read, he replied, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female. And he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, man must not separate. He goes all the way back to the beginning to go, look, God in the beginning joined man and woman together never to be separated. That was God's plan. One flesh no longer two separate entities, no longer separable because they're one flesh, no longer one man and one woman, but one new creation, one new flesh, two souls, one body. God says, when man and woman enter together in marriage, that's how I now view them, two souls sharing one flesh. To separate what God has joined together is incredibly destructive is what Jesus is saying. It never entered God's mind when he created marriage that one day these two should be ripped apart from each other. That was never in his thinking. That's what Jesus is pointing out here. He goes, look, I don't care what your current culture is. Back in the beginning when this was created, this was never even in the mind of God. He was uniting man and woman never to be separated. Divorce, he would say here, is akin to amputation, to cutting off a part of the body because these now are one flesh. And divorce is the most destructive thing you can do. It's akin to cutting off a part of one's body. It got real quiet in here. Again, some in here are getting uncomfortable the further on I go with this. Let me assure you, there is no hammer waiting to drop. At no point in time will I pull an aha, I gotcha. So Jesus says this. He takes him back to the beginning and he says, look, God paired man and woman together. His intention was that they would never be separated. And the Pharisees come back with, why then, they asked, did Moses command us to give divorce papers and to send her away? Trap sprung. We got him. He disagreed with Moses. In Jesus' answer of saying, back in the beginning, here's what God said. He was disagreeing with Moses. We got him. 
They had already heard Jesus teach on this before. They knew the answer he would give. The crowd just wasn't big enough. Back in the the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught this. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in the case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery also. They, They had him. He's disagreeing with Moses. He's just offended half the people in the crowd. This couldn't have worked better, they had to be saying to themselves. But what did Moses really say on the matter? What they were arguing about was, comes from Deuteronomy chapter 24, a teaching that Moses gave. Let me read it to you, and then we'll break it down a little bit. When a man takes a wife and marries her, Moses said, If then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs from his house and if she goes and becomes another man's wife and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife. After she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Super clear, right? Let's set a little background here. So this all happens at Mount Sinai. All right, mere weeks after the Israelites have left Egypt, the Israelites are more Egyptian here than they are Jewish. They have more in common with Pharaoh because they've just lived in his land as slaves for 400 years than they do with Abraham, the father of the Jewish faith. These are essentially Egyptian exiles now out in the desert, and God is trying to come and work with him. This was not God's ideal circumstance for marriage. God was not telling them, hey, here's what I would love to see. Divorcing your wives. Oh, wouldn't that be great? What God was doing was talking to a group of essentially foreign people who had been enslaved and trained in the ways of Egypt. Divorce was so incredibly commonplace, or even worse than divorce, just complete abandonment. Just leaving their wife and moving on was so commonplace that actually what we see here is is Moses is actually trying to put in some safeguards He's not telling them, hey, here's the ideal. He's going, if we're ever going to move there, here's step one. You can't handle the whole truth of of how God views sexuality and marriage. Your views are that skewed. You are that indoctrinated by Egypt. It would take hundreds of years for God to begin to walk the people back to where they needed to be. But he says, here's step one. When a man takes his wife and marries her, if she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, writes her certificate of divorce, puts her out. He's telling them, look, like, this is already happening. He doesn't tell them, you need to write a certificate of divorce. When this happens, because it's already happening, he was trying to set up a safeguard. One of the things that this certificate of divorce, which they were already in the habit of doing, would have safeguarded, would have been if the man just left his wife. I found a new one. I'm just leaving you. And she would take another husband. He at any point in time could say, adulteress, stoner to death. She's cheating on me, stoner to death. It was a jacked up society. But one of the things that this would have done is she could have gone, no, 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 no. He sent me out. 
He's the one that broke faith. He's the one who divorced me and sent me away. This new relationship that I'm in, it's not an adulterous relationship. And it would have been a protection to her. And again, it's hard for us to even put our heads in. This was written about 3,000 years ago. But this actually would have been a protection for that woman. They were so skewed. The way that they were treating and hurting one another was to such a degree that God was going, here's step one. You can't just leave them out on the street. It is wrong. They at least have to have the protection of this divorce. But even in this, there's a caveat. You see, there, there was two different camps. Remember before I said the Pharisees were trying to get Jesus to pick one of the extreme positions? Because half the people would then, they thought, hate him because of it. Because there was two extreme positions on this theologically. Just like right now, we read in the scriptures sometimes and we come across a passage where we go, I don't know exactly what that means. And you Google it and you find out some people think this, some people think that, and they fight and argue and disagree with each other. They had the same exact thing going, what did Moses mean when he said that? And there was these two extreme camps all based off of what you do with the word indecency. Because there was this one, it was these two famous rabbis back at the time who taught these two extreme positions. This one rabbi, I won't even try their names because I'll slaughter them. He took this to mean and was teaching it to mean if your wife just displeases you at all. Like legitimately, they had some things laid out. If she burns dinner, I'm not kidding. It sounds like a joke. If she burns dinner, divorce her. Write her the paper right there, send her out. If she displeases you in any way, if she does something that embarrasses you in public, get rid of her. If you see a newer model on the street, divorce your current wife and upgrade. It, and it was actually taught in this camp, not only is it okay, but you're actually commanded. And notice they even use the word, Moses commands us to write a certificate of divorce. It was thought to be immoral to live with a wife who wasn't fully pleasing to you. And it's hard to even like think in this way. But this was one camp, and this was where you found the Pharisees going, so Jesus, isn't, it's okay to divorce your wife for any reason, right? Because th there was those in the crowd that were going, yes, and actually, you're a better Jew for it. You're fulfilling the command of God to divorce your wife for just about any reason, for a burnt dinner. There was the other side that actually Jesus would have been in, that this word indecency, when you, you'll find this, depending on what translation you read, there will be a bunch of different English words there. They all mean about the same thing, but we don't have a one-to-one -one translation from this ancient Hebrew word over. It was confusing to them, and it's confusing to us. But there was one camp that said indecency actually means some kind of sexual immorality. The word indecency actually has to do with, uh, it, like if you read it completely literally, um, because he has found some nakedness in her. And so we go, wait, what, what does that mean? He has found something sexually immoral with her. She has committed adultery, some sexual offense. Then write her a certificate of divorce and send her out. So, so there was these two camps that they were trying to push them into, and Jesus, while he agrees with the one camp, 
First, he has to set the table. And in, in chapter, or excuse me, chapter 19, verse 8, he told them, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts. But it was not like that from the beginning. This thing that you're building this whole culture on was something that was only allowed because of just how jacked up you were at the time. It, it wasn't that God was saying, this is my ideal. Your hearts were so hard. This was the first step of God trying to get you where he needed you to be. See, marriage was God's plan, not ours. Divorce was our plan, not God's. And there came a point when God was going, look, because of the hardness of their hearts, I'm going to create some permissions here. Because you can't handle everything that I'm calling you to. Again, they, they had been 400 years of slavery and all of these different things. So he says, I'm actually going to permit it because it's more damaging what you're doing right now. And I'm going to start to walk you back. And so Jesus comes in and he says, look, divorce on, to divorce on any grounds has never been a part of God's will and will never be a part of God's will. Has never been blessed by God and will never be blessed by God. There are so many Old Testament condemnations against the nation of Israel that go something like this. Because of the way you have treated the wife of your youth. And God would tell them you're going to be held to an account. Because you have abandoned her. Because you have broken faith with her. Because of the way you have treated the wife of your youth. And then God would go on to say that's why judgment is coming and some of these different things. And it's an Old Testament idea, but just from the very beginning... You can see that God was never going, yeah, ditch her, find a new one. He was constantly reminding Israel, you will be held accountable for the way that you treat the wife of your youth, the wife that you have had since you were young. Whether you have loved her in the way that I've called you to love her, whether you have modeled my love for her like I've called you to, whether you have cut off and divorced, abandoned, left for dead, there will be an account for the way that you have treated the wife of your youth. This has been in scripture from the very beginning. So Jesus goes on to clarify, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Divorce is permissible, excuse me, according to Jesus, only in the case of sexual immorality, in the case of adultery. Jesus says in that case, you're not bound. But if a man divorces his wife for any other reason except for sexual immorality and marries another, he commits adultery. Paul adds one uh, other caveat to this because now by the time Paul is there, the church is coming up. See, when, when Jesus was there, there was no Christians. Everybody was just Jewish. But now as this Christian church is rising up, you have people who were married since before even Jesus was here. And now you have Christians married to non-Christians. And there was this whole thing of, Paul, what do we do with that? Is the marriage even valid? What, what do we do? And so Paul adds uh, abandonment to the list of exceptions. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he says, I command the married, not I, but the Lord. He's trying to be very clear. This isn't just me saying something. This is the Lord. A wife is not to leave her husband, but if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to leave his wife. But I, not the Lord. Now Paul's telling you, this is my practice. 
But I, not the Lord, say to the rest, if any brother has an unbelieving wife and she is willing to live with him, he must not leave her. Also, if a woman has an unbelieving husband and he is willing to live with her, she must not leave her husband. Then skipping down a couple verses. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave. A brother or sister is not bound in such cases. God has called you to live in peace. There were those, again, who... After marriage, one came to faith in Christ, and now their lives were so divergent that in some cases, the unbeliever says, you're not the person I married, and I'm leaving you. And Paul was saying, if that is your case as a believer, let them go. You're not bound in such cases. As long as they're willing to live with you, live with them, that they could see Christ in you. But if that unbeliever decides, I've had enough, I'm leaving, He says the believer's not bound in that case. So biblically, the only case that can be made for divorce is in the case of adultery or an unbelieving spouse abandoning abandoning a believing spouse. So Jesus is is around teaching and the Pharisees set this trap for him. And and this thing that they expected to, maybe Jesus would go, oh, I don't know, That's, mm, that's a touchy subject. He took a stand on And he said, from the very beginning, God has never desired divorce. But in certain cases, it's permissible, not commanded, but permissible in the case of adultery and in the case of abandonment. So that is the teaching of Jesus on divorce. But I want to talk about us in this room. Because as I was thinking through teaching on this, uh, every time I prepare teaching, your faces come to mind. And some of your situations that I know of come to mind. And as I was teaching through this, knowing that this is a touchy subject for many. Some of you have have tuned out. Uh, As soon as I mentioned divorce and what we were going to talk about, you checked out. Some of you checked out because you're not even married. What does this have to do with you? You know, and I just started seeing your faces and your situations. And I started to see that, you know what, there's kind of three distinct categories of people who are going to be in this room today who are going to be hearing it. And we all have a responsibility. So let me just start to walk through this a little bit. The first category of people responding to this teaching in this room are going to be the single and the happily married. The single people going, I would have to get married before I ever even worried about divorce. So this is just some theology. This is just some teaching that Jesus had. And lumped in with them is going to be the happily married that goes, divorce isn't even on my radar. Sure. It's easy to to hear this and go, marriage good, divorce evil, got it. Check. I agree. If you asked right now, I would stand up and raise my hand and say, yeah, divorce is bad. But we have to be so careful for those of us in this first category, how we wield this truth. We have to be so sensitive. You see, the Pharisees use theology like this to prove a point and to try to gain power. Look at me, I'm right. I know the right answer. And they would step over hurting people because they had the right answer. This teaching, this theology, this is real people's lives and wounds attached to it. There are people in this room where this is not just some theology, some teaching of Jesus that, yeah, it's good to know I could answer it on a test. But this is attached to their story. And it is painful 
and it is real. And if we're not careful, even by our assent of what Jesus said, yes, we agree, we can inadvertently heap some guilt and shame on people. We can inadvertently just press on people's wounds and not even notice the painful reaction. If you haven't walked with someone that is contemplating divorce, or you haven't tried to help someone pick up the pieces after divorce, tread very carefully. This is not just a theology, just something to know so that if somebody asked, you could tell them which camp you stood in. Tread carefully with this. This is people's very real pain. And there's a second category. If we had happily married, the only thing I could think of was unhappily married. We have those in our body right now who are contemplating divorce, where divorce feels like a very real option. They haven't pulled the trigger yet, but they are in a hard situation. They are in a painful situation, and divorce feels like a very real option. Our world presents divorce as an easy out, a way to upgrade, a way to get a fresh start, a way to replace an old, worn pair of shoes with a new, shiny pair, a way to get out of a hurtful relationship, a disrespectful relationship, or a loveless relationship. The world says it's easy, and it's actually getting cheaper. The further down the road we get, just call a lawyer. It can be done in a matter of months, and you're out, and you're free. What they won't tell you is the baggage that comes with it. Having a part of your flesh ripped away is not a painless thing, is not an easy thing, is not a light burden to carry. The Lord is incredibly clear on how he feels about divorce. In fact, some of us, myself being up here teaching right now, wish it wasn't so clear. But in the book of Malachi, the Lord talks uh, to the same nation of Israel who is going, no, we can leave our wives for any reason. It's no problem. And here's what God has to say. I'm going to read it in two different translations uh, because, again, depending on the translation, there's kind of two different takes. Um, so let me, let me read it first. This is from the Berean Study Bible. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. He who divorces his wife covers his garments with violence says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not break faith. I hate divorce, says the Lord. He who divorces his wife covers his garment with violence. In the NIV, it says this, the man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one that he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. The Lord, whether he said, I hate it, or whether he said to the man who hates and divorces his wife, either way, you see him saying, look, this does violence. This rips apart something that was supposed to be joined together in, like on a soul level. Divorce does violence to the one that you were called to protect. You see, God doesn't just hate divorce and warn us against it because it's just some rule. And you know, God's a rule keeper. And so he says, don't do it. Why? I don't know, because that's the rule. He says, don't do it. Don't break faith because you don't even understand the violence that it does in your heart and in your soul. 
to the one that you have promised to love and to protect the violence that this act does. It is not harmless. It is not quick and painless. It is not an easy out. It is a violent act that rips apart your soul and the soul of the one that you were called to love. Jesus in Mark and in Matthew, remember he said, divorce is an amputation. One flesh joined together, and what God has joined together, let no man separate. Let no man amputate. Amputation should only be considered under the most dire of circumstances. And here is the difficult truth, church. If you are in this situation and you're trying to figure out, do I stick it out or do we just pull the plug on this whole thing? Here's the hard part. We don't get to decide what dire circumstances are and are not. He set the provisions. In the case of adultery, in the case of abandonment, he says it's, it's permissible. Not even it's good for everybody, but it's permissible. He says outside of that, you don't get to say things were just bad enough and I pulled the plug. And again, if you hear harshness in my tone at all, if you hear judgment in my tone at all, know that it's not there. But this is the word of God. We don't get to make that call. When we stood up and held hands in front of a pastor or a judge or whatever your wedding looked like, and there was witnesses there, and we said, rich or poor, better or worse, good health, bad health, good days, bad days, I commit. And God is calling us to faithfulness. He's trying to call out in us the faithfulness that he displays toward us. God is always faithful. God never breaks faith. And he says, if you're my people, don't you do it either. You're, you're my reflection. You're my image on this earth. I don't break faith. Don't you break faith either. And some of you right now who are in this situation are asking the question, but can I trust my spouse? And I would ask a different question. Can we trust the Lord? Because when the Lord says, for instance, a very difficult teaching, wives, submit to your husbands. And when the Lord says, husbands, love your wives as I love the church. I gave everything for her. Love your wife in the same way. And we go, but she doesn't get it. Or she says, but, but the way that he talks to me or whatever it may be. And we go, but can I trust them? That's the wrong question. Can I trust him to be faithful? Can I trust him to meet my needs even in a difficult marriage? Can I trust him to even change my own heart, to help me love my spouse who, if I'm honest right now in my heart, maybe at best I feel nothing towards? At worst, there's hatred. Can I trust the Lord to even change my own heart? That's what's really at stake here. It's not a matter of whether the other person is trustworthy. Do I believe that God is faithful? And if I will commit to doing things his way, that he will work out all things for my own good. As Cheryl said, even all the crud that's happening in this life, do I trust that the Father has a good plan and that if I will stick with him and do it his way, I will see his good result? That's what's really at stake here. And listen, I'm just going to, just a quick aside. There is room for if you are in a dangerous situation, if you are in a physically, emotionally 
mentally dangerous situation, there is room for a time of separation. But here's the thing. The world would counsel you for a time of separation too as step one, then step two is divorce. Just get used to living on your own for a little while. The way the scripture calls us to, Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 says, look, if there needs to be that time of separation, may it be toward reconciliation. A time of separation so that I can work on my own junk and hopefully you can work on yours with the hope that the Lord will bring us back together to be reconciled. That the Lord would restore our relationship. Not just as the waiting game. It's been an acceptable amount of time. Now we can go through with divorce. Does that make sense, church? It is always for the purpose of reconciliation. Finally, we have the ones that I have spent the most time praying over uh, and crying over this week. And that's those here who have already been divorced and potentially already been remarried. I can only imagine hearing this story and going, but Jesus, that was 15 years ago. I can't undivorce. I'm, I'm remarried now. What, what do I do with this teaching? If you were here this morning and you've been divorced and, and the circumstances involved adultery or abandonment, the, the permissions that we were given, maybe you even fought divorce, but your, your spouse forced it through. I mean, I, there are so many different ways that this scenario could have gone. I, I hesitate to paint with too broad of a brush. But if you fit in these permissions that we were given, take heart. You don't wear a scarlet letter. You are not a second-class citizen in the kingdom. You don't need to carry guilt or shame that some, maybe even yourself, have tried to pile on over the years. If you're here this morning and you've been divorced and the circumstances didn't involve adultery, abandonment, didn't involve some of the, the permissions that we were given, take heart. You don't wear a scarlet letter. You are not a second-class citizen in the kingdom. You don't need to carry guilt and shame. Not because you didn't do anything wrong. This is hard. If that is your situation, and you haven't yet, the Lord is calling you to repentance. To repent of breaking faith. And I don't say that as a way, again, to heap guilt and shame. I say that because without repentance, you can never experience healing. Without repenting of the divorce, the breaking of relationship, the breaking of faith, you are left to carry your own guilt and shame. And you know the weight all too well if this is you. I come from a divorced family. I have been around divorce all my life, and I have seen the guilt and shame that come with it. And what's standing between you, potentially, and the removal of that weight is a time of repentance. I think of Acts 3.19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. 
what the world tells us and what many, even inside the church, are far too eager to believe was that was 15 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever it may be. Certainly God doesn't still care about it. Just move on. Just read your Bible. Just be a good Christian. Just whatever it may be. Certainly that's not still hindering you. Well, I'm here to tell you it is. There's no expiration date on our sin. Something that we did 30 years ago can still be hindering us today. And again, I don't say that to heap guilt and shame. I say that to her. If this is your experience, if that decision you made all the way back then is blocking your relationship with Christ now, is keeping you from becoming all of who he's called you to be, would you repent? There are certain questions that go through people's minds when we have this conversation, and I've had them, I don't know with anyone in this room, but with some others, and they go like this, but if I admit that I was wrong, don't I have to call everything I've done since wrong by extension? But if I admit that it was wrong to divorce my former spouse, don't I have to admit that it was wrong to marry my current spouse? What about the children that we've had And I would simply say this, God is not here to play games with you. God is not here to see how long the list of sins can be. He wants to go back to the root. He wants for you to confess and repent of that sin, not so that he can say, aha, I gotcha, but so that he can forgive and remove the weight. I hesitate to even tell you what a prayer of repentance could sound like because, again, there's so many different scenarios, and I, I feel like I need to, to give some kind of example, but if any of this, again, is hurtful, that is not my heart. To pray something like, Lord, I admit that my decision to leave my former spouse, that in that I sinned against you. I trusted my way over your way. Would you forgive me the damage that I did to my former spouse, to my family? Would you remove the weight of guilt and shame that has been a constant weight on my shoulders? Would you cleanse me and show me your grace for me? Help me to find the healing that I've been longing for ever since. And maybe even, Lord, thank you for the blessing of my current spouse. Thank you for the blessings that you've given me even as I've been carrying this sin with me. You have remained faithful. Look at all that I have despite this. Thank you for your faithfulness. Would you forgive me for my lack of faith, for my unfaithfulness? This has the potential to be one of the most powerful prayers you will ever pray, if you haven't already. If you've dealt with this, praise the Lord, move on, you're clean. If you've yet to, this has the potential to be one of the most powerful prayers you will ever pray, and it will probably be one of the most difficult things that will ever come out of your mouth. But to offer this to the Lord, to trust, 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To trust that if we will repent, times of refreshing will come from the Lord. But we have to call our sin, sin. We cannot leave it undealt with and expect God just to forget about it. 
if this is your situation. I call you to repentance so that you can experience even deeper life. And I don't pretend that any of this will be easy. I don't pretend that we've covered everything. I would like to say, I'll sit down and and have coffee and talk with any one of you. Uh, The elders would, would sit down and talk with you. Our goal is not to beat people over the head with past mistakes. Our goal is to see people freed from the chains of past sin and move forward in life. So if you would like to talk about this, I would love to sit down and talk with you. You can get a hold of the church. You can come talk to me after the service, whatever it may be. I understand that this is not easy. But think of the life that waits on the other side. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, would you come and have your way? God, for those of us where marriage is not, or excuse me, where divorce is not even on the radar, God. We're not even to the point of marriage or we're in a, a good spot in marriage. God, may you begin uh, to help us have a broken heart for those around us who can't say the same. Not a judgmental heart, not a heart concerned with being right and having the right answer, but God, a heart that breaks with those who are hurting, who are carrying a weight who feel alone, who feel uh, like they've been given a scarlet letter or that's not something that we can talk about in church or whatever it may be, may we be the first to run across the aisle and give a hug. God, to speak encouragement, to speak your love and your grace, and maybe even to call to repentance, not out of a judgmental heart, God, but out of a heart to see freedom and life reign. Lord, for those who are in a difficult spot in marriage where divorce seems like a a decent option, God, may you give them endurance. May you give them trust that your way is better than our way. God, may you help them to remain faithful, not because the other person deserves it, but because you are faithful to us. May we remain faithful to you in your way. And Lord, for those who divorce is already a part of their story, who have been carrying guilt and shame, who, who that's been a place we, we don't go to. We don't talk about that. We don't touch that. God, and that wound has been festering. Would you bless them with courage, God, to take a step into the light, to offer you not just our current situation, but our whole past. and to see what you can make of it going forward, God? Would they find safe places and safe people? As they confess their sin, God, as they come in repentance, may they find that your word is true, that you are faithful and just, you forgive and you cleanse, that times of refreshing are waiting to be poured out on those who walk in repentance before the Lord. Lord, may you deepen faith because of this, I pray. You will never waste a wound. May we bring our wounds to you. In Jesus' name, amen.